You are listening to a podcast from Backstage on the Fringe.com. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Backstage on the Fringe podcast. Seen and Heard is a show that sits somewhere between burlesque and storytelling and the combination of the two art forms blend perfectly to create a show which is revealing in more ways than one. The premise is simple. Artists from a rotating bill perform part of their act and either follow it up or precede it with a story from their own experience. What you get is an insight into each performer's style, background and history that elevates the performance aspect and gives voice to the multitude of untold stories behind burlesque performers. Uh, My name's Becky Lou and my show is called Seen and Heard. Becky Lou, thank you for talking to Backstage on the Fringe. Um, What can an unsuspecting Edinburgh audience expect from Seen and Heard? (laughs) Uh, Seen and Heard is a variety show with a little bit of a difference. Uh, We have a lot of performers from the world of cabaret, burlesque, um, mostly burlesque actually for for Edinburgh, but we often have um, singers, uh, drag performers and other mostly visual um, performers who have a strong aesthetic and and a non-speaking style of performance. Uh, They'll come in and do uh, one of their signature acts and then they'll also tell a personal story. Um, which is where the twist is, I guess. I came to see the show uh, beginning of the run, mm-hmm. uh, and I knew what to expect because I'd read the blurb and I'd read the press release and stuff, but I was still blown away by how intimate the space is that you create because you see the burlesque performance. Um, sometimes you see a story afterwards, sometimes you see a story before. It's an incredibly intimate environment. Was that a deliberate choice? Absolutely, yeah. That's very much the intention to sort of... I, I wanted to bring... I think I say it at the beginning of the show often. Um, I uh, get to know these amazing performers personally backstage and in artist bars and things and get to hear their stories myself. And I thought it would be incredible to be able to give that to the audience. So we do very much try to create the, that intimacy, which can be difficult in certain spaces. We've, we've been in all sorts of uh, fringe festival and small venue kind of situations. So a lot of, a lot of the work uh, with lighting and tech and, and the way that we um, rehearse with the performers uh, goes into creating that kind of intimacy. So you, ro- you rotate the bill, you have different I acts do, on yeah. it, right? Is it every day or every week you change? Uh, every, it, the first week of Fringe we had the same lineup, but from now it's going to change uh, most days. So there's a, we've had a, new, a few new performers come in from Australia and word's been getting around Fringe, so we've had people pop up going, hey, I'd love to do your show. So it's a bit of a combination of people that have done the show before that I've worked with on their stories and then people just popping in to do whatever they'd like, which is fun. The show, well, burlesque is about uh, revelation and revealing um, to a greater or lesser extent. Uh, but what performers do when they're telling their stories is reveal a side that isn't often explored. You may go along, see a burlesque, think, how did they get into it? Where did they come from? Why did that act develop? But these stories are incredibly personal. How do audiences react to this show? We've had a really lovely time in Edinburgh and most, most of the places we go to actually, which is always a surprise because it's quite scary to put ourselves out there in that way, not just with what we're saying, but the way that the style of storytelling we do is not necessarily a rehearsed monologue. It's sort of, it's, yeah. um, it's like telling 
a friend a story. It's it's quite often very confessional. So um, the way that audiences have been reacting here, particularly, they've they've been really getting on board with it, um, listening intently, thanking us, hugging us after the show, which is lovely and. We don't always expect that, um, particularly Friday, Saturday nights. I've been expecting drunk people coming in and yeah. occasionally we'll get people chatting and getting up to go to the toilet and it's a little bit disruptive. Um, but I think, it, yeah, it's been a huge surprise, particularly like we were saying before, um, people don't always know what they're coming into. They'll walk into a 9.30 show because it's on or they've seen it sexy picture of us and yeah. they were expecting something completely different so it's fantastic to see them just go with it and 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 accept our stories and 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 appreciate them it's really nice do you always do part of your act and then tell a story or do you flip it around sometimes myself yes um i for this one i've been doing the same thing every time but in the past i've, I've flipped it around um, my intention this time around with my particular story and act is that I, I want to set the show up for everyone. So start it with a, a bit of a bang and then kind of ease people into it. So we're setting it up for the stories that come afterwards. Um, but yeah, I've had shows where I've ended the show uh, with, with my stuff and I've done different acts in the show before as well. So it's not always the, the crazy one you would have seen. <laughs> do, you, do you feel empowered or more vulnerable. Say when you do your, you do the piece of your act, and then you tell the story. Are you empowered or more vulnerable because you've done the act and you've you're in perhaps more of a state of undress, or is it just the same? For me, I feel more empowered when I start with the act. Um, I've been doing burlesque for a long time now, um, over a decade, and I I just don't have any sort of insecurities about <laughs> my body or getting undressed in front of people um, and the, the way that I actually started doing this sort of work was that I had been uh, professionally doing burlesque when, uh, around Australia there was a huge you know it was so popular yeah. it was probably the same here for a while um, where I could make a living out of it um, and was working you know five six seven nights a week um, and I started to get a little bit frustrated that I, I was only being seen uh, and yeah. I, uh, I started um, going around to fringe festivals to do spots in different cabaret and variety shows and would go and see shows and I discovered this art of storytelling. People were doing solo shows and it wasn't really stand-up and it wasn't necessarily theatre and monologue. It was this real art form. Um, you've probably heard of the moth and, and those sort of things. So... Um, and I went into a bit of a rabbit hole and discovered that and, and decided to have a go. And I created a solo show where I'd do, I did all of my burlesque acts without leaving the stage. So that was a bit of an experiment in itself with the changes um, and then told personal stories in between. And that went really well. And that was the main thing with that was my insecurity about speaking and being heard. Um, even just the act of talking was... Right scary but then also telling really intimate details about my own life was yeah another layer as well backstage on the fringe the podcast that goes behind the scenes at the edinburgh festival if you like the podcast please subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you access your podcast from 
You can contact me on Twitter via the handle at Backstage Fringe or by email backstageonthefringe at gmail.com. But for now, back to the podcast. What about, tell me about the risks you've taken as a company bringing a show from essentially the other side of the world to the biggest arts festival and possibly the most crowded marketplace there is. It's very expensive for a start. Um, and I guess we, we've only done it in Australia, so we don't, we didn't necessarily know if it was going to translate, if people were right. going to have the same sort of reaction um, critically, um, audience-wise, if it was going to just fall flat and people were not going to get it. Um, but we've had such a beautiful reaction. It's, it's been so, yeah, surprising and lovely. And... Um, the audiences have been accepting it. We've had industry people come in and really just get what we're doing and that's, yeah. Everything you've said to me, it just makes me so happy. It's when I came to see the show, um, Lynn Gardner, the theatre critic, was ah. in the queue. Uh, I don't know if you know Lynn Gardner at all. No. She's a um, very well-known theatre critic who's mm-hmm. moved from The Guardian to um, probably the stage and, and more online coverage. Um, and I was quite surprised to see her there because she's normally fairly... Um, She'll hate me for saying this, but I think she kind of she's she's so well respected, and she deals with yeah. drama and quite serious theatre, and her opinions incredibly well respected. Um, but then I thought, oh, actually, maybe this is exactly the sort of thing that would um, entice Lynn along to see, rather than a more traditional burlesque show, which mm. you know you think you know what you're going to get, and you you probably will. There were a couple of walkouts on the night, yeah. and we talked off air a little bit about how. Um, if people don't necessarily know what to expect, they may well you know, struggle with it. I think it's strange that men in particular would be really comfortable with an act that is a performance, it's burlesque, there'll be some nudity involved, but the actual listening to a heartfelt story is the bit that would make them uncomfortable yeah. and make them leave. Absolutely, and um, we are getting people who don't, who don't know that that's what's going to happen. Um, We've had actually very few walkouts considering that. Um, There were a few in in the first couple of nights, I noticed, and I I always sort of have that, you know, that's always in the back of my mind to expect because I don't necessarily expect that people are going to be able to go along with it if if they're not here for exactly what that is. Um, But one of my favourite types of audience member is, is that person who comes and are not expecting to have to, you know, listen to the sexy girls talk after they've done the sexy thing uh, and then go with it. And they can be a little bit taken aback at first, but then you can, particularly in venues where we can see their faces, it's it's fantastic to then sort of see them get involved in the stories and, you know, they're looking in, in our eyes instead of anywhere else and, and having a great reaction at the end and saying, thank you, I wasn't expecting that, but it was really powerful. And those are the people I want. Yeah. You know, if, if that works out, th- those are the people I want in the audience. How are you promoting the show in such a crowded marketplace? I mean, are you guys getting out and flyering in costume? How, how are you getting good people in? We have been a little bit. Our sales have been really great to start with. So we've been, um, I've been sort of letting everyone off the hook a little bit to right. work on their, you know, keep their energy up. and Because it is, um, even though it's only an hour show and everyone's doing sort of 10 minutes each, it's quite emotionally taxing to sort of, of particularly with some of the stories that are coming out, you know, to, yeah. to do that. So I'm just making sure everyone's okay and not pushing them too hard. But we have been doing a little bit of costume flyering. We're getting other flyers out there. Um, podcasts like this. Uh, we've got 
yeah, uh, Facebook ads. Do you have a particular, um, particularly favourite part of the show to perform? You know, you do your, 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 there's the burlesque at the start and there's the storytelling. Is there any particular part of either of those and how the audience reacts to them that make you go, yeah, I've got that? Uh, for me now, it's more about the overall show coming across. Um, I'm, I'm actually starting to feel like moving away from performance myself and I still really enjoy it. It doesn't really give me the exhilaration it used to. Um, but for me, it's been putting the show together, you know, sitting down every night and every morning, figuring out how the lineup's going to go tonight and, um, and then working with the performers to, to get what we want to happen and then having that come across is my favourite thing. I've been describing this show using the, the moth storytelling model mm -hmm. as an analogy, but kind of saying it's like the moth plus because you get the story. If you were to strip away the whole burlesque element of this and have your performers talking about their stories, I think that would be engaging enough. But coupled with the performance and the burlesque, and particularly in Edinburgh when there's an awful lot to see, I just think it, it takes it to a, a, a kind of different level. Um, and I think that you, there is the variety. Variety is a fantastic word for it, possibly even better than burlesque, because it's it's so different to any of the other burlesques that I've seen. Um, do you get many other burlesque performers coming along to see the show? Uh, we do, yeah, and we've had we've uh, had a really nice response from quite um, high profile people. Actually, we had Amanda Palmer in the other day, who sort of was lovely and came along and did a spot, um, which I was a bit nervous about. I didn't know if, if she'd slot into the show that well, considering she's not a super physical performer. She was yeah. doing a song. Um, but it was perfect. She just really read it. She loved it, and she uh, came and you know did her spot and, and made it fit with the the whole thing. And she had a few other kind of cabaret people um, come in that night because of her. And they've I've been getting people going, "Hey, I'd love to come and do a spot." So it's yeah, it's really fantastic. What does what does success look like at the end of the month? Because it's a long month in Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, I, I hope I, I'm still feeling like I do today about it, <laughs> getting the, the responses we've been getting from the audiences and, and the industry and having my cast be happy with their work. Yeah, that's, that's enough for me. I think. Yeah, I think one of the things, one of the questions I'm asking everyone is uh, about, is it more important to have a good review from one of the big publications or good word of mouth about your show? Which would help you most? Word of mouth, because I can see that that's already been happening and reviews are fantastic, um, good reviews are fantastic, um, but that's not the point of this show, It's the point is, is that interaction between the performer and the audience. Um, yeah, it's, that's way more important to me to have, that's why I often go out afterwards and say goodbye to everyone. Um, and you know, it's it's really important to me to sort of see how how people have taken it, and yeah, that that's my favourite thing. Where and when can we see Seen and Heard? Uh, we're on at nine thirty p.m. at Underbelly Cowgate in Ironbelly, um, and we're here till the twenty sixth every single night except for my one day off, which is on Wednesday, the fifteenth, I think. Yep. So don't come that night because I'll yeah. be. 
they won't be there. I won't be there. I won't have any makeup on, and it'll be fantastic. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Becky Lee, for talking to Backstage on the Fringe, and best of luck with the rest of the run. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Backstage on the Fringe podcast. A new episode will be released shortly, so make sure to subscribe and you won't miss it. Thank you.